0: 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're continuing on in this series. We've been unpacking uh, the first opening verses of, of 2 Peter 1, talking about gospel transformation. Really, this is a conversation, uh, exploration of scripture in how we change. How does change happen in the life of a believer? And Peter is giving uh, an explanation of this, and we're continuing on uh, in this. I want to read the passage and then. Um, talk a little bit about uh, what I think is perhaps the weirdest place in the world. Uh, so, this is Second Peter 1, verses 3 through 8. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature." having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, would you illuminate your word for us today? Would you help us to see what it is that you're showing us in a passage of Scripture and in even just a few words that we're going to be focusing in on today um, that... Uh, that um, we need to understand. Uh, Lord, would you, would you engage our hearts in that way? Father, thank you for this community of people. Thank you for the fellowship that you build at Midtown and at 12 South here. And, and Lord, we ask that, that you would continue to do that today. Uh, give us a great affection for one another um, by your grace. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, today we're going to talk about, we've been working our way through that list where Peter is saying, okay, now, because you've been giving every, everything that you need for life and godliness, add to your faith knowledge or goodness and add to your goodness knowledge and add to your knowledge self-control. We've been working our way through that list of things and today we come to add to your godliness brotherly affection and that leaves me with a problem and the problem is, is as a communicator, I suspect that you're all kind of already on board um, with this idea of I'm supposed to have... Brotherly affection. We hear this and we think, "Yeah, okay." You know what's to, what's what's to say about that? That's not that's not difficult. That's not that's not unusual. Um, we should all get along with each other. We should all be nice to each other. We should we should have this sense of harmony and unity together, right, as a church. So so, what else is there to say beyond just what he says? Add to your godliness, brotherly affection. The challenge with this is that. In, when it comes to the positive aspects of brotherly affection or having affection for one another, we understand a lot of that. We don't understand all of it necessarily, but also we don't necessarily think when we think of brotherly affection about the difficult part of that and what that means in terms of how we walk with each other through through difficult times or through rebellion of the heart or, or those sorts of things. So we're going to unpack what it means that we would have affection for one another uh, and that being said I, I do want to talk about what I think is the weirdest place on earth and I think that the weirdest place on earth is here I think the church not necessarily midtown 12 south but church is a weird place isn't it we say weird things we use weird language sometimes once a month we go and kneel around little tables and take a little shot of grape juice and break off a little piece of bread and eat it together right that's a little weird but it's not just that we do things that are weird you are weird and i'm weird and we're just strange. We're, we're just... you remember like being at recess when you're a kid? I, I remember that the world was neatly divided into two groups of people. The people I liked and the people I did not like. That was it. I like you. I don't like you. You know, and it was very simple and easy. But the older we get, it gets a little bit more sophisticated, doesn't it? We don't like certain things. Or we like certain things, but we avoid certain situations. And it gets a little bit more... Complex, right? Here's what's weird about the church. The church is this place where the Lord makes your friends for you. Right? He brings people into your life and says, Here. Here's somebody. You're going to walk through life with them. I'm going to tell you a story. I told this at the 9 o'clock service. And I'm, I'm remiss to tell the story a little bit because these sermons get recorded and end up online. and, um, and So I'm going to protect the identity of the innocent here by refraining from using names, not because I'm meaning to criticize a person. So that's not my heart. Understand that I'm not trying to make fun, but I'm, I'm wanting you to understand that that sometimes in the church, the Lord brings people into your life that you look at and you just think, ah, there's just no way we would have been friends <laughs> outside of this, right? There was this guy at, at a church that I worked at, um, not here, uh, who was just one of these guys. He, he you know, wore a fanny pack, um, without irony. And, and, and I remember one of the first conversations I had with him was, was on a Sunday after communion. He was uh, I saw him across the room, and he was eating all the bread that was left on the communion table, eating it. And it wasn't like he was just snacking. It was like he was, he was eating it, like, I, I'm going to consume all of this. And so I walked over to him, and I was like, what are you doing? And he said, don't we have to consume the body? I was like, oh, no, no, no. We're not that kind of church. We're, you know, we, we, don't, we don't believe that the bread is physically transformed. We, we just, but it was just, it was, and he, he, was, he was really kind of just, oh, you know. And this guy ended up becoming somebody who I just loved. But I would not have chosen him as my friend. There's just no way that I would have chosen him as my friend. Perhaps I am that to some of you. You know, I'm a person that you would think, "Uh, if it wasn't because of the church, I don't know that I would really engage you in conversation. It's a strange place. It's a strange place because the Lord says, come here, come into this place, this local body, be a congregation together, love each other, and I'm going to put a lot of colors on this palette, you know, and it's going to be weird. And you're going to be friends with people that you're going to think mm, in high school that we would not have hung out together. And yet here we are and I'm sitting in your living room and we're sharing a meal together and we're talking about what's on our heart and we're praying for each other. It's a beautiful thing. But it's also strange, you know. The reason it's strange is because for a lot of us, the way you ever think about how you develop affection for people. You ever think about that? Because for me, I was thinking about this this week, you know, because Peter is calling us to add to our godliness, brotherly affection. I was thinking, how does affection usually come into my life? Usually it's a surprise. Usually it's I meet somebody and we spend some time together and I come away from that time together thinking, I really like that guy or that was a lot of fun, you know? You know what I'm talking about? And, and it's sort of like our experience of affection, we kind of think of as something that just happens to us. You know, wow, I really like this person. I'd like to spend more time. And yet here, Peter is saying, yeah, but for believers, let's take it up a few notches. Let's not regard our affection for one another as something that sneaks up on us and surprises us. And when it happens, we say, oh, cool, I'm going to hang out with you. But instead, he says this, add to your godliness brotherly affection. Cultivate it develop it, pursue it, seek it out in your relationships with one another. Develop this idea that you are building affection for one another as brothers and sisters together in the Lord. It's kind of an amazing thing because it goes against our culture that says affection just develops. It happens to you. And here Peter is saying, no, 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 you develop it. You cultivate it. You seek it out. You pursue it. And it's not just Peter that says this. Jesus says this. When Jesus is summarizing the law, he says it can be boiled down to two primary things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Last week we talked about godliness. Today we're talking about brotherly affection. It's those two things. Love God, love your brother. Love God, love your neighbor with everything that you have, with everything that you are. The challenge in this, in this command to love your neighbor as you love yourself, in Peter saying, add to your godliness brotherly affection, is that where a lot of us might be inclined to stop is with the idea that, okay, I'm supposed to just we're supposed to be nice to each other. We're supposed to get along with each other. But there's so much more to this. What he's saying is love people as intentionally and as deeply As you can, cultivate affection for them. Why does this matter? Why does it matter that we would do this? Jesus says it like this in John 13. And this is where we're going to camp out for for the rest of our time together this morning. He says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There's so much more going on in this statement from Jesus than just get along with each other. See, what we can think is that the reason that Christ calls the church to unity is because he doesn't want the church to embarrass him. And how embarrassing is it when churches are disunified and the watching world is looking at a church being petty and bickering with each other and fighting over ridiculous things? It is ridiculous. We we do argue over crazy, ridiculous, insignificant things. But see, here's the thing about Jesus. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need Midtown 12 South to protect his reputation. His reputation is already secure in being risen from the dead, in being the second person of the Blessed Trinity, He already knows that people will hate him for who he is and for what he says. But he's not saying, hey, love one another. Love each other as I have loved you, because if you don't, it's going to be embarrassing. He's getting at something deeper. He's saying, understand that when you love each other, you are living out of a love that you have been shown. You are showing the world my love for you, and in doing that, when we love each other well we 're proclaiming the gospel to a watching world that 's the three things that are just amazing in this is Jesus is saying here here 's what love does. Love has this component, this brotherly affection that we're developing, has this component of outreach. That a watching world sees believers loving each other with this affection and what they see is the gospel. How does he say it? He says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So loving each other well and having an affection for one another, a brotherly affection, is outreach. It's also in-reach, though. It's a way that we care for one another. He calls us to do this because he calls us to be one body. He says, this is a command that I'm giving you. Love one another. As I have loved you, love each other. So there's this in-reach component of you're called to care for each other. Whether you're the weirdest person that the church has ever met, the church is called to love you, and you're called to love them. You're called to engage, to be a family together, to be a community together. And then there's also this idea, not just outreach and inreach together as a body, but also what we would call maybe upreach. What we have here is a three point sermon. <laughs> um, upreach. That Jesus is saying, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That there's this component of when I'm loving you, I'm responding to a love that is between the Father and me, that's between the Son and me. And so I'm I'm loving out of that. So let's dig into that. How is developing brotherly affection for one another outreach? And the simplest way that I can describe this, I tripped all over myself at the 9 a.m. service. I felt like trying to describe this. So I'm just going to go away from my notes for a second. I'm going to talk about it like this, okay? It's over there. How is brotherly affection outreach? And I think the answer to this is... You know, Jesus says, when they see you loving each other, they're they're seeing that you've been loved by me. This is how the world knows that you're my followers. Is that there's something honest about loving each other with affection that the world struggles to see. Because it's easy to come alongside each other and say, like some of you have been saying, and I really appreciate it, hey, how about those Cardinals last night, right? St. Louis Cardinals kind of gave it to the Texas Rangers. And it was awesome, and some of you know, if you follow me on Twitter, how much I love that <laughs> every 15 minutes, and I, I do love that. But see, what brotherly affection is, is saying but we're not just going to be about the St. Louis Cardinals together. We're going to be about really going through life together in an honest way in an affectionate way, me moving toward you, you moving toward me, that we're walking through substantial parts of life together. What would some of those places be where the world doesn't see this a lot? One is celebration. It's good for a watching world who doesn't know the hope of Christ to to see believers celebrate together, to celebrate 40th birthdays, to celebrate, you know, weddings anniversaries to celebrate these times when something happens a child is born and friends don't just come along and hand you a cigar but they come along with the word of god open to psalm 139 and they talk about how god has ordained the number of this child's days because he loves and he's done that for you too mom and dad this coming alongside of and celebrating god has been so good he's been so good i rejoice with you in this Or not just celebrating, but mourning and grieving. So sad when somebody loses a loved one and the best that their friends can give them is they're in a better place now. What the world sees when Christians have affection for each other in grief is they see us grieve. They see us grieve over somebody else's pain. They see us say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. We live in a broken world. We live in a world that is hurting, a world that is struggling, and I ache with you over the brokenness in your life. That's affection that the world needs to see, that communicates the gospel, that we're responding honestly to, we live in a broken world. We live in a world where we need each other to hold each other up. So we have celebration, we have mourning. We also have this Tricky part of affection that I would call confrontation, sometimes rebuke. That when a friend of yours is just taking their life into a nosedive into the ground and destroying everything that's good, that you stand uninvited in their living room and call them out and list for them all the things that they're going to lose if they continue in this foolish path. You know, when you have a friend who's abandoning their marriage... And you don't say, you don't say, well, if it makes you happy, I guess I can't judge you. But you say instead, you know, this is making you miserable, right? You know that you're not going to find happiness in this. I'm going to contend for you. I'm going to be the loudest voice of opposition in your life. Why? Because I love you. I have affection for you. I want good things for you. And I see things in your life that you don't see. When the watching world sees Christians caring for each other like this, with this kind of sacrificial affection, with this kind of, I'm willing to kind of push all my chips into the middle of the table and and risk losing our relationship because I love you that much. The world doesn't see that. The world doesn't see that very often. But when the world sees people rejoicing with one another over things that are truly worth rejoicing in, grieving over things that are really broken, confronting each other in places where we're saying, I want you to trust my friendship. I want you to trust that I see things that you don't see right now. I see the destruction that you're bringing into your own life, and I'm begging you, I'm asking you, I'm interceding with you. Stop this. Stop this. When the world sees that, what are they seeing? They're seeing incarnational ministry is what they're seeing. They're seeing one life standing with another life, which is a picture of what? It's a picture of what Jesus did, that he stepped into our brokenness. He stepped into our pain. He stepped into this need that we have to know what is really worthy of our joy and has reconciled us to himself. And so when we love one another with affection that pursues one another, the world sees a picture of what Christ has done. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another as I have loved you. So it's outreach. It's also in reach. And what I mean by this is not I fix myself, but as a community of believers, that the Lord uses congregations, he uses local churches to care for each other in unique ways, not just for the sake of a watching world, but for the sake of our own stuff, Our own brokenness, our own need to be uh, stretched and grown in in ways that, that we can't do on our own. That we need each other to come alongside and to speak words of life and insight and encouragement into each other's experiences, right? And this doesn't always just look like, hey, I've noticed that you're really friendly, or I've noticed that you're really good at singing, or, you know, whatever it is, but that it's, no, 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 we're actually, I mean, think about this. Here's a a thought that might blow your mind, okay? If you are, hey guys, second row. If you are a part of Midtown Fellowship, let's just say you're a part of Midtown, 12 South for 10 years, That's on the long end of things, I think, for a lot of folks around here. But let's just say that you are. Say a decade of your life is spent in fellowship here. That means that, you know, say you're here on average 40 Sundays a year. Okay? We're doing math. That's dangerous for me. 400 days will be spent, at least part of it, in a room with other folks that you'll see weekly. In an ongoing way. People that you will see more often than you'll see your mom and dad. People that you will talk to and engage with on a deeper level than you might engage with your own children who have gone off to college. These are people that I'm not saying that the church is more important than the family. Don't hear me say that. What I am saying is don't be blind to the community that the Lord puts you in and says, hey, here's people that are going to walk through life with you all the time. And they're going to watch you have your first kid. And they're going to care for that child in the nursery. And, and, and they're going to they're gonna watch that kid learn to talk. And, and you know, all these, these things. Or they're going to they're gonna watch you go through this relationship that's difficult for you right now. And they're going to see the breaking and the humility and the redemption that the Lord does through that to bring two people together. Or, you know, the all manner of situations that you're going to go through. You're going you're gonna to start college and finish college. And you're going to get a job, you know. And these are the people that the Lord is putting into your life. And, it, and they're not just there to be cheerleaders for you. You know, part of what affection is, is saying, I'm going to watch your life. I'm going to care for you in a way to where when I see something happening in your life or I hear you expressing something that I have something to speak into, I'm going to pursue you in that. I want to tell you a story that happened in my life on that level. I think I've told the story here before, but it's been a while. So if this is a repeat, forgive me. But this is a way that I saw incredible affection toward me from a person who, uh, you know, the idea of in that he was loving me in the way that Christ had loved him and in a way that then shaped the way that I would then love other people. Have you ever been in a place in your life, perhaps you're there right now, where you are just terrified of the future? You don't know what's coming, you don't I mean, maybe you're a student or maybe you're in a job that you just think, I don't wanna do this job forever, or this job has a has a course that it's gonna run and then it's gonna be done. Or maybe you're just terrified because you're 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 terrified, you know. You you just don't know what's gonna happen. Relationships are fragile, things change, you don't have money, whatever it is. And so you're just kind of in this in this in the this sort of vortex of just trying to Trying to not screw things up, not make the wrong decision, not just explode everything. And you're convinced that before this afternoon is over, you can ruin your future. You can make a decision that can just ruin your future. You could do it by this afternoon, and it would all just be over, as if your life is that fragile. And I was going through this. I had had this interview with this church, and and... And it was a terrible interview. It was so terrible that it was the kind of thing. I was still a seminary student. And it was so terrible that it made me think, what am I doing? Am I a fool to think that there is a church in this world that would have a place for me to serve out of my gifts, but would also grow me and challenge me and stretch me? Or or are they all just crazy? And that's how I felt about this church that interviewed me. It It was a long time ago, a different city. And it was just one of those experiences of just... We are on such different pages that maybe I've just been a fool to go to seminary. Maybe this whole thing that I've been doing of trying to get this degree, to get this job, I've just had my ears closed to the Lord, and I just—I was in that place. And I was telling my friend this, who, who was one of the deans of the seminary, and he was a mentor to me, and he had, we'd spent a lot of time together, and he had invested in me a lot. And I just was pouring out my heart to him of just kind of this fear that just had gripped me and just, just this concern. It was so real to me. And he listened and he said, can I tell you a story? And I said, sure. And he said, I, I, I want to tell you this story because I hear what you're saying. And um, I've, I've been through things that are similar to that, but I, I just I think it would just help you where you are right now to, to just know this. He said, uh, a few years ago, so this wasn't that many years before he said that he was an educator at a university and he was going to a conference uh, and the man he was going to the conference with was a paraplegic um, Who uh, so when he got to the entrance to the conference he, he dropped off his friend got the wheelchair out of the trunk and, and, his, and his friend went in and he was driving his friend's car and he said, uh, he, you know, he said I'll go park your, your car in the garage and I'll come back and, and meet you here Well, he went into the parking garage, parked the car, got out of the car, and as he got out of the car, he turned around and there was a man with a gun in his face and and two guys behind him. And they beat him within an inch of his life, and they threw him in the trunk of the car, and then they proceeded to drive around the city where they were in for the remainder of the night selling drugs while he lay bloody and beaten in the trunk of the car. And he said, "Uh, I remember hearing them, I remember them abandoning the car and waiting for what felt like hours to make sure that they weren't coming back. And he said, I was there in the darkness and I, I, I was stuck in the trunk. I was feeling around and all he could find was a little pocket knife. And he began to cut through the back seat of the car with this little pocket knife. And he opened a hole in the back seat of the car, and he pulled his bloodied self through the backseat of the car and went into and realized he was in a McDonald's parking lot and went into the McDonald's and said, could somebody call the police? And then he collapsed. And then he stopped. That was his story. And he didn't say anything. I was like, help me, (laughs) you know? What was the moral to this story? And he just kind of waited and he watched me. And I could tell he was searching me, you know? He was just kind of doing that thing where he's like looking at me like, what are you going to do with that? And I said, I had no idea that happened to you. And he said, yeah, you know, I remember being in the trunk of that car thinking I was going to die. And he said, and I also remember that I'd never known the presence of the Lord with me like I knew it that night. He said, I don't know how to describe it, but I knew that he was with me. And then he changed the subject. And at the time, I thought, was was this a rebuke? Were you trying to tell me, okay, you're afraid of the future. Let me tell you what real fear looks like. You know, was that the point? But I'll tell you this. I have thought about that story and I've thought about that moment and the way that he told me that story since it happened. And I am convinced in my heart, in my mind, that what he was doing and what the Lord was using him to do was to pull this scared little boy through the backseat of that car with him. That he was bringing me out of this prison of fear into this place where I would have to ask the question, wait, is the Lord with me or not? It was so vulnerable for him to tell me that story. He told me that he'd never told anybody that story in, where we were at, our, at that school, that I was the first person that he had told since moving to that city. That's affection. But what is he doing for me with that affection, that brotherly affection? He's contending for my heart. He's looking at me and he's saying, I know fear. I know some of what you're experiencing and I know that there are things that used to terrify me that don't terrify me at all anymore. He still doesn't like parking garages. But he's not afraid of the future. And he was contending for me. very affectionate thing for him to do. How has that translated into my life? Here's how. In my job... I end up sitting across the table from people who are terrified of the future. It happens. And one of the sweetest things that's been sort of dawning on me is this feeling that I think I have greater dreams for that person's future than they have. I think I recognize more potential for greatness in them than they recognize. And it's not because they're just that awesome. It's because God is so good, you know? And I can't help when I'm sitting in those meetings, but remember the way that as he loved me, so now I am loving this person. The Lord uses the church for that. But it can't just be surfacey stuff. Affection. Add affection. Finally, affection is upreach. And what I mean by this is there's a Godward component to this affection, where Christ is saying, when you love one another, when you engage each other with affection, where you're seeking to invest in each other so that the world would see the gospel lived out among you, so that you would be encouraging each other, reaching into each other's hearts, you are doing something that is very Godward and very worshipful that you are loving one another as I have loved you and it's this question of okay where does the source of my affection for you come from it comes from being so loved and this is what's beautiful about this this is why it's such a small-minded thing to say that the reason that we're called to love each other and the reason that we're called to brotherly affection is because it's embarrassing to Jesus if we don't get along that's such a small minded thing to say. Then, the reason it's such a small minded thing to say is because the presumption behind that is that what Jesus wants from me is to keep his reputation untarnished by my messing up. As if what I am to him is one big potential liability. What the gospel says is, no, you were made to love. And you were made to love in such deep and profound ways. You were created for this. To to know the joy of basking in real, pure love forever. God's concern for you isn't that you would embarrass him. It's that you would love with a profoundly rich and deep love. The kind of love that he has for us. The gospel is growing us up to be profound lovers. And there is no fear in love. And so he calls us. Then step into it with each other. Engage. Deal with the fear. Confront it. Address it. Brotherly affection is incarnational. It's my life and your life. Your lives with each other. Where do we go from here? I believe that this final point of application might be one of the more profound things that we hear today. That's not to pat myself on the back. It just strikes me as being profound. Where do we go from here? Where we go from here is to the chili cook-off. Why? So we can have affection for each other. So that we can get to know each other, so that we can say things like, Hi, I'm Russ. And you can say to me, I know we've met four times. <laughs> and I can say, in the spirit of brotherly affection, I'm sorry, I do that a lot. And it's true. But heaven forbid we be a place that says, Thinks I've met you four times, you jerk. Hi. You know, and we cover that up. Let's just be honest about that. We're getting to know each other, right? We're getting to know each other. So we're going to the chili cook-off, and we're going to eat chili. And if all of you go, it'll be a miracle of loaves and fishes. (laughs) It's going to be great. But that's what we're going to do. We're going to develop affection for each other, and we don't have to do it today. We do some of it today, and then next week, and in the middle of the week, in our small groups, and over the years, in the holidays winter, spring, summer, fall. That the Lord would bless that fellowship and that affection so that we would know Him better because of the love that we have for each other and so that when the world looks at Midtown 12 South, what they would see is Christ. Hallelujah. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for my friend who had that terrifying night I thank you, Lord, for the way that you used him to tell me that story and to leave me with so much unsaid that I would spend the next 12 years of my life trying to understand what that meant, that I would arrive at a conclusion even this week that part of what he was doing was pulling me through that seat with him. It's a beautiful picture, Lord. It's a beautiful picture of the way that you have used that man's life to shape me. You know I'm still afraid. You know that there's so much fear still in me. You know that that's the case for all of us. And yet you are so good to say that it's not good for man to be alone and that you would give us community. And so, Lord, would you work through this community of 12 South? Would you work through these relationships that are growing and developing here? Would you cultivate that for us? Lord, would you help us to be people who don't just wait for affection to surprise us, but that we would be people who would intentionally engage with one another? Lord, I thank you for the reasons that we have to celebrate in this room. I thank you for the new life. I thank you for the birthdays. I thank you for the anniversaries. I thank you, Lord, for the, the, just the good things that are worthy of praise and celebration. And Lord, we also acknowledge that as long as we are a fellowship together, that there will be things among us that will be very, very sad and very, very right to grieve over and to mourn. Lord, would you make us people who do that honestly, who lean into the gospel who, who really ache over each other's burdens and sorrows. Father, I thank you for this fellowship. I thank you for the gospel being true. And I thank you, Lord, that you haven't called us just to get along with each other, but that you have called us to love each other in such a way to where we see you and the world sees you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray, and for your glory. Amen and amen.